All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness and Philosophy Podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined as always by OPEX founder, James Fitzgerald. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. What episode number is this? Which on the spot? Uh, 10? Question mark. So what is fitness? What is fitness? Part two. Uh, what we do? We did uh, autonomy. Um, Let's just say it's 10. Yeah, I think it's 10. Yeah. It, 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 it um, is 10. I just checked my outline. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hijack an idea I learned from Scott Galloway as a good podcast. Uh, and uh, as he's been increasing the number of podcasts, he uses the front end number as some like really cool thing. So we're going to go back and forth here, Robbie, as to how powerful the number 10 is. Okay. So uh, right. being our 10th episode, this is the first thing I think of, I'm completely honest, um, 10th of December. It's a great book uh, with poems by David White. Um, if anyone wants to uh, check that out, um, I think it would be a worthwhile thing. So your turn. Go. What do you think about number 10? Oh, boy. The, uh, what is it? The, the 10 main physical capacities? Oh, look at this. Look at this. Oh, boy. Right? That- How crazy that is. I got all 10 of them there. By the way, we will do a future episode on, uh, on me uh, jamming on why those 10 physical fitness things are, uh, are a load of shit. That's a future episode uh, for another yes. time. Yes. But, uh, I just wanted to preempt that. Um, the, the injection of, uh, of athleticism and performance based <laughs> that for fitness, you know where I'm going to go with that. Anyways, uh, the, the, uh, the next one, I believe everyone really appreciate is the beautiful 10 that we see on those green plates, which stands for 10 kilograms. I mean, that's just going to go down, you know, 10 sits right next to green, um, just because of that. Um, so yeah, you're next. Keep going. No, I mean, we're at the start of a new decade, another 10, 2020 to 2030. Nice, nice job. Nice job. Uh, you came up with that one so quick. I, I'm going to have to uh, uh, finish it off by saying when I was 10 years old, um, I do remember really enjoying hockey. I was playing hockey like a, like a banshee, uh, like nonstop all year, outdoors at night in the cold, during the weekends, during the mornings, uh, playing playing hockey. So 10 was a great year of my life, 36 years ago. I'm trying to think what I was doing when I was doing 10, I think, or when I was 10 years old, I think for like a brief moment in time, rollerblading tried to be skateboarding, like aggressive rollerblading. Like, I don't know if you remember that, like half pipes and like (laughs) grinding on rails. Like I, me and my brother did that like three to four years, like when it was in the X games. And yeah, I think that was around that time. And now it's completely gone the way of the dodo but uh oh man that is classic that's classic aggressive aggressive rollerblading <laughs> that's what it was called aggressive rollerblading <laughs> skateboarding think, went out on that one yeah i don't think there's i don't think aggressive rollerblading has ever been said so this is probably the first time it's ever been mentioned on a podcast so we're very unique. probably probably yeah it was like, there was like BMX, there was like, you know, the, people would take like regular like uh, trick bikes and they would do half pipes and rails and then skateboards and rollerblades and, but yeah, skateboarding survived that BMX kind of and rollerblading, not, not so much. Oh, man. Classic. All right. That was good. 10th episode. Here we go. Let's rock okay. and roll with a special one on intentions. I'm excited. All right, guys. So today we're going to talk about intentions. So as we've been doing for the past number of episodes and probably will continue 
to do. Maybe we'll change it up. But you know, we we have a couple episode pair. We like to pair a couple ideas together that tend to um, go well with one another and highlight each other. So last time we talked about desires, which we were going to talk about again today in relation to intentions. But today we're talking about intentions. So just like I said last time, the philosophical literature on intention is deep and goes way beyond anything we're going to talk about. So if you guys are interested, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which is just a great resource in general, uh, they have a good entry on intention. If you just want a quick way to find that, just Google the letters S E P with no spaces and then space intention, and it will come right up and you can go take a look at that. Uh, it was funny. It was right after we did our last episode on desire. I was uh, doing some uh, mindfulness stuff on the Calm app later in the day. And like after each session, like a quote comes up and like literally that day, this is where that quote came from. So, Oh, the intention. Uh, quote. Yeah. The intention quote. Oh, so there's a, a really good quote on intention that I like that, that came up. So it said, uh, setting your intention is like drawing an arrow from the quiver of your heart. Um, which I don't know about you, but I feel like it's just a beautiful metaphor. Wow. Yeah. That's really nice. It's actually, this is the second time now, cause I saw it on the PDF notes and uh, it's, uh, it's not, it's probably not hitting me like an arrow should in the heart. Um, I'm probably overthinking it, but uh, um, coming from the, the deepest, this is the way I envision it. Correct me if I'm wrong as to how I'm perceiving it, but um, it's coming from the deepest parts uh, of a human. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's got some, you know, direction and it's got some direction to it and some, um, some purpose behind it, you know, it's, and probably what I think about when I think of heart is coming from a, a good place. You know, that's what I think about when I, when I, when I hear that statement. Yeah. And I didn't even think about this till you just mentioned that, but like something that's striking me now about the metaphor is that, you know, the quiver is like, maybe that's that deep internal source of these deep reasons, but then the difference between an intention and a desire that we'll get to talk about is like, from that quiver you're putting in the bow, you get to aim it now. Like you have that thing as like the drive, but now the difference with intention is you get to actually set the directionality of it. And I think that's a big difference between intention and the desire that we'll talk about is you get to kind of set your life plan uh, or game plan um, around that, um, you know, whatever direction you want to point the arrow. Yeah. And that is, uh, that's big. That's big stuff, which is why yeah. the topic is big. Um, I also, because I have been uh, consulting with, as I mentioned, our mentorship program started um, a couple of weeks ago and I've been dealing one-on-one -on -one with coaches, for some really big stuff for them, for their life and their business and, and what they want to do. Um, and the word that I'm connecting quiver to is apprehension. Um, based upon how I see a number of people uh, try to align things and aim that arrow that we're speaking of, but they're right. super apprehensive. And the apprehension is there for multiple different reasons. And my, my goal is to make them aware of the apprehension and then have an open space to discuss the apprehension. And then, of course, just allow them to flow and shoot that arrow off in the right direction, you know? So um, that's what I think of when I think of quivering as well. It's kind of a, it's very human in my, my understanding. Yeah, you got that. That was an interesting double meaning. Like, yeah. Quiver meaning. Yeah, I, I like that. Mm. Bruce Black, right? Bruce Black. I have no idea who that is, but great quote. Nope. Double B. Double B always killing it with the good quotes. Barbell. Get it? Double yeah. B. 
double B barbell. He's bringing it back. So I thought that was just kind of a nice, meaningful thing to, to start us off. Um, but just like we did with desire, it's worth going to the definition of intention uh, and then exploring some deeper philosophical things with regard to intention. So just some basic definitions here. When you say that you intend to do something, that's a verb, obviously, uh, it means to have a course of action as one's purpose or objective or plan. And then there's the noun intention, which is a thing intended, which is that's not very informative because it's just using the verb, but uh, another way to put it is an aim or a plan. So again, going back to this metaphor of, you know, aiming the arrow of your heart um, or trying to hit a target or plan a, a purpose objective, there's some directionality to an intention. Yeah. Um, well, we will get into it anyways, but I'm just, for, I'm just uh, foreboding the, the concept uh, that uh, in it's CC, it's very CCP language esque um, of aim uh, as we talk about in goal settings and uh, the framework of the tetrad for setting the goal. Uh, the aim is the top of that tetrad. And that's, as you can imagine, if you take the lens now from a coach's lens who's just starting out in coaching and fitness, um, that's generally what we're, what we're doing all the time is, is lining up where people want to shoot the arrow, right. And, and point, the stuff at an aim, a aim of something, a aim of losing weight, a aim of being consistent, a aim of feeling better, a aim of getting out of pain, etc. Um, so I love the, I love the basic, uh, the language around that, uh, around the definition for aim. Very powerful word, aim. Yeah, and it, it, you know, like you said, as we'll talk about it, it can kind of set everything. I mean, everything can kind of flow from that that one central thing that determines, you know, training and nutrition and everything, behavior. This is, and this is what I was mulling over yesterday and I forgot, but now you just brought it up. This is what we have to discover today is the, is the importance of accuracy in the aim. What I mean by that and also a concept of the gradient of intensity is let's take the worst case scenario. Everyone within that organization or thought process, coach, client, and et cetera, believes that is the aim and you get so far deep in shooting towards that aim, but it's an incorrectly aligned aim. So I wanted to discuss that, Robbie, the, like the, all, the, all the work we put into a possibly incorrectly aligned aim. Hence, this is why I'm so big on intention. And the con conversation around is that so many people go so far and so deep in a, in a direction for the aim but they're going in the wrong direction. And they just piled on for years and years to make that direction work, all for the incorrect intention. So I wanna somehow fit that into, into the conversation of that, that aim and if you get so far deep in, how to remedy that, like how to, how to bring it back. Um, and quick, the quick answer is you gotta go back to, to looking at the deepest starting point on what your, the reason was for your aim and then you'll find, find the truth there. So thanks for that. No, I, I think that's an excellent point. And it, it brings up, you know, going back to that analogy with the, uh, the bullseye and the arrow, you know, there's objectively a bullseye on, on the target, right? But, you know, if we're talking about someone's intention, I think you're right. We have to be careful not just to say, well, they come in and they say, oh, well, I want to squat 800 pounds or I want to, you know, uh, do a hundred miler. Like we need to, there's some normativity to, 
intentions and aims. It isn't just, oh, well, I said it, therefore that's what I should be aiming at. Like we have to have a discussion around, well, what are the reasons? What are the aims? How do those align? Um, so it's not just the client says it, therefore yeah. it's automatically right or worthwhile pursuing. Like we, ha we have to have this discussion back and forth about things. Yes, and this is why we started the, the conversation with fitness, morality, you know, um, virtues, knowledge, we, we had to start there. So you can see that there, there, there is room for conversation on what is the right aim. You know, yeah. there is room for conversation because to my point, you can get, you know, you can get so excited and even clients come in and you're like, it's, it's uh, infectious, right? Where people, the clients kind of overrun the whole consult for 45 minutes. They're like, basically they're saying this, which is not this, but isn't this so exciting? I'm so excited. Isn't this so exciting? I'm so excited. And by the end of it, you're like, yeah, I guess this is what we're doing. <laughs> you know, I guess that's the aim. And then at the end you sit back and go, man, that's, that's a really bad aim. <laughs> we should not be. And now how do you, how do you fix that? Right. So um, I think that's why we got to back up. And as soon as they come in be like, isn't this so exciting? You go, well, let's kind of educate ourselves, you know, non-biasedly on what that aim is. Let's take a second. Yeah. I think that's what we're doing today is to kind of talk about the pathway for that. Yeah, I agree. And I, th I think we'll talk about this a bit more, but you know, one of the contrasts that we'll get into between desire and intention that obviously plays a role in fitness is desires can be fleeting. Like, I mean, it's, it's all, it's awesome when people come in with enthusiasm and they want to do this, that, and the other thing, and that will get you somewhere. But anyone who's ever trained or done any nutrition plan knows that that waxes and wanes, but an intention We'll talk about the metaphor there, you know, can maybe sit above that and be a bit more constant and guiding when that enthusiasm is like, shit, I don't want to be in here training today, even though you, you do for your intention, you do, but the desire has waned. Yeah. So that, that contrast between the two. Yeah. We could say that, you know, those, those uh, desires will sit on the base of good logic around the aim, you know, and the intentions. So we could build a, we could build a model to this that's uh, the desires sit on the base of intentions. Yeah, they're a good like foundation or grounding piece, but they're not sufficient for the intention. Exactly, yeah. So talking um, a bit more, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I think so anyways. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about a little deeper philosophical investigation of intention. So just like we do with everything we ask in philosophy, what sort of thing is this thing? Um, we're going to do the same thing with intention. Now I want to start off by, I think it'll be instructive to highlight similarities with desire because we talked about desire last time and some differences with desire. So let's start with some similarities with desire. So desire is the sort of thing that only living things have as far as we know. I'm always going to keep adding that scientific experiments might come to show something different in the future. But as far as we know, only animate objects have intentions or desires, but not all animate objects. So cells, mitochondria, plants, as far as we know, do not have those things. So uh, we might say that it is either desires and intentions are either a mental entity or a neurological entity, meaning, at least in the case of neurological, that you have to have some cognitive capabilities to even be able to set something to have an end in mind that is um, an object of representation. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a directedness to, to go towards something else and it's a disposition to act in certain ways. If you have a desire, if you have an intention, it involves certain 
disposition. So if you have an intention to go eat, then you have a disposition to go get an In-N-Out burger or go, you know, whatever your favorite thing is. Um, so those are the similarities between the two. Yeah, I'm good. Um, but let's talk about some differences. So this, this was really interesting as I was going through it, just kind of, I was thinking of these questions and I thought there are some interesting differences between the two. Now, just having been in philosophy for so long, I can, I can already imagine like the philosophy firing squad, like lobbing objections as me, like as I'm <laughs> listing these things. So like for any philosophers listening out, listening out there, I know, I know I'm not saying it's this black and white, but I'm just trying to get us some like handle on, there are these differences and there are, you know, some subtleties in there, but you know, there, there are these important differences that I think will be instructive for the discussion. And I realize that there are important objections to what I'm about to lay out. Yes. So what beings have desires versus intentions? So as far as we know, humans and animals and maybe insects uh, have desires, but as far as we know, only humans um, have intentions. Um, that's something you have to have the cognitive capacity to set. Mm. Are they primarily emotional or rational? Well, in the case of desires, primarily emotional. It's not that you can't have a rational desire. Um, it's not that you can't have an emotional intention, but uh, intentions tend to be more on the rational side and desires more on the emotional side. Are they intuitive or conceptual? Desires tend to be far more intuitive. Uh, we can't always articulate a desire. This is why with dreams, you know, our subconscious or unconscious will sometimes reveal certain desires to us, you know, via images or sounds or different things that we can't quite conceptually articulate, um, you know, with our conscious uh, mind, nonetheless kind of sitting underneath the, the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas intentions are much more con conceptual or propositional. We should be able to articulate an intention. If you have an intention and you have the ability to speak or write, you should be able to say what that intention is. Yeah, I like that because we use that in our language for CCP and sending a name. We want people to talk it out and speak about it so it becomes real. So I like that. Are these things in our voluntary control? Um, like we talked about last time, desires aren't really in our voluntary control in any meaningful sense. And even if you were to object back, well, you could attempt over and over again to like broccoli or like opera or what have you, like even the end of that is not in your voluntary control. Maybe you end up liking it, maybe you don't, but desires really um, go beyond our ability to control them. Whereas intentions, assuming we have free will, Dot, 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 uh, are in our control. Mm -hmm. So intentions are something that we can control. Yeah. And that uh, we just want to preface in brackets here that <laughs> what, what we just mentioned there, or anyways, what I'm representing, what we just mentioned there um, could, could definitely be stretched out in conversation, but we're just agreeing that there's in large bulk, you know, uh, percentages in one side or the other for desires and intentions on that. Yeah. Agreed. Um, are these things fleeting or longer lasting? Again, there are exceptions, there are objections, but generally speaking, desires tend to be fleeting. We've, we've all, everyone had this experience, right? Where the desire just reaches a peak and then it flattens out and it comes back. It, it's very all over the place. Um, intentions, on the other hand, tend to be much more longer lasting and, and constant. Yeah, I like the fact uh, that the... Sorry. 
Oh, no, go ahead, please. I, yeah, I like the fact that uh, there's a time element in this. Uh, when you say long lasting, um, that, that brings us back to the initial point we were saying of starting to create all these characteristics of defining intentions for that purpose so people can see not only how they're different to desires, but the, how strong it is um, in terms of its importance um, and how to align this correctly right from the get-go. And I love the fact that it has the word lasting in it because it indicates time. And then that indicates that there must be this like, you know, deep importance in how you get that ready right from the get-go um, so that it, it goes in the right place. So I love that. Yeah, I agree. And that, yeah, that longer aspect, especially, especially when we're talking about the fitness journey or the health journey or the nutrition journey, that longer term aspect. Yeah. Um, something that I just made a connection to just as we were speaking, I hadn't thought of this before the, uh, going back to the Bruce Black quote, thinking about the arrow and the intention, just the visual metaphor of like, you can imagine different, you know, gusts of air and bursts of air trying to hit the arrow from different sides as it's going through like those different desires, yeah. but the arrow is still going to its bullseye. Yeah. So to me, that kind of signifies some notion of the arrow is able to withstand those, you know, dips or surges and desire for your goal and still, you know, be on its uh, trajectory towards its bullseye. Yeah, and uh, another metaphor to way to think about it is that <clears throat> when you set your sights on that goal, and that's really what I, when I like to say it's in really good alignment, um, the arrow gets strengthened and it, it, uh, it has, um, you know, directionality that is intelligently designed, really, with great purpose. And uh, the, the, that's why I'm saying right from the get-go, when you, when you set that arrow on its path, um, and, and everything kind of looks right with predictions. Um, and it, it just, uh, it can withstand all of that shit. And then as you're going through all those desires and they're bumping up against them all the time, which is called just, you know, that's life, hard experiences, um, you will be forthright, you know, and super strong with that hour if, if it was aligned correctly from the get-go. You know, if it was, if it was really clearly aligned from the get go. And again, that just reiterating as you go through these the definitions and the difference from desires to intentions, it's so key that we get those intentions cleaned up right from the get go. So key. Yeah. not, and not, I mean, just like we're doing now, but distinguishing between desires and intentions, but in fitness, you know, when someone comes in for a consult, being able to distinguish between their desires and their intentions, there's lots of, Desires one could have that, you know, are fleeting up and down. Oh, I saw, you know, this ad for this and that for that, but like those deepest, truest uh, intentions that aren't just those momentary fleeting desires. Yes. Yeah. Um, is there any moral worth associated with these? Now I'm going to do a brief talk about this in just a little bit. Um, but in the case of desires, there isn't really any moral worth associated with desires and to see why again morality in order for there to be more praise blame or worth you need to be in control of the thing it would make no sense to say well, we're blaming you for this desire but you have no control over it so um we all have all sorts of desires but whether we act on them or not is is a different thing so mm -hmm. desires aren't really objects of of moral worth but intentions are um for one of the most famous ethical theories 
or maybe Kantian ethics. Um, intentions are one of the key aspects. Your, your intent in action isn't just one piece of the puzzle. It is the puzzle in a lot of ways. It is the thing that determines the morality of the action. If you did not have correct intention in, um, you know, helping someone out or giving to charity, as we'll talk about in just a second, um, your action does not have moral worth. So intentions do differ from desires in that way. Yeah. Well, let's get to it for the, for the, uh, uh, how are you going to describe it in more so um, for, um, yeah, the positive, no, sorry, the, the depth of why that is important. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, let me, I'll go to that real quick and then we'll come back to the other differences. So um, like I said before, this is like a gigantic subject, just like we've done with everything else. We're just going to talk about the salient points, mm -hmm. but take, take just the following example of someone giving to charity. So for Kant, one of his central points is that if someone gives to charity because it is the right thing to do, that action has moral worth. And notice, you can't see their intention. Epistemologically, you have no access to their intention, but they have access to their intention. Um, but in two other cases that are the seemingly exact same action, namely giving to charity, you would have amoral actions, meaning actions that aren't deserving of any uh, moral worth or praise or blame. That doesn't mean they're immoral, they're not bad, but it means they are not moral. So imagine someone who gave to charity because they are compelled to, either via guilt or shame or judge ordered them to or something, or a person giving to charity publicly solely for the sake of praise and fame. And in both of those cases, you would be giving uh, to charity to further your own ends rather than because it's the right thing so, to do. So for Kant in morality, you can have the exact same action, giving to charity or um, saving someone or you know, doing a nice thing, and yet the entire moral worth of the action is dependent on the person's intention when they are doing the action. And we, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, could there be a similar thing in fitness where you know, say, oh, well, all 10 minute bike tests are the same. We're all 10 minutes, you know, 10 reps of squat are the same. Well, what's the intention? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, I wrote down here that, uh, what I picked up on was the word of actions and multiple actions. So let's take the charity component. And that's the reason why I love, um, the, uh, the arrows and the journey and people setting their sights on something is that, if it's, if it's repeated immoral actions, it becomes exhausting. And that's the positive thing around the path of, you know, what, what essentially was a good intention. There's unbelievably great alignment with no tension. Think about that. Like there's, when, when people do this unconditional, you know, components, example, we're using charity and they just do it over and over and only they know about their intentions. Um, and they can continually do it, and it all works for something that's good, it probably was a well-intentioned action. Whereas when people do the charity component, and they do it over and over, and it's all with the incorrect intentions, it becomes exhausting, right? And if they keep repeating it, they'll eventually trip up, die out, <laughs> eventually blow things up, stop doing it, you know what I'm saying? So that's the beautiful thing around 
it's the it's the it's the greatest thing but it's the worst thing <laughs> meaning like you can imagine if you didn't even know about your intentions you get a line you keep going and you do lots of it and you're like i'm so exhausted um then it's probably a sign that your intentions and the direction are way off so that's why i find so beautiful about the the way you described it in charity and Kant's based support of that it it matters a whole lot <laughs> because um you know, people, I would even tie it into the end, Robbie, component of what you just said there of uh, tying in physical expression and being really good at that. I think of those people who are the best at that over time are really well aligned and have great intentions because they're essentially at this point of unconscious competence, right? They don't even, they're not even aware of how they're good at what they're good at. So let's just take the charity component. In the end, you know, the ultimate, ultimate highest order of charity are people that are like, so that's great. You've given the charity for the last 25 years and donated $1.5 million. And they're like, oh, really? Have I? That's, that's you know, saying like they're, they're unconscious of the fact of their impact of that continued, you know, thing that they've been doing. Yet we on the outside lens looking in is like, oh, that's a really powerful right thing to do you know but they're not even aware of the fact they're not they're almost unconscious to it so that's what i love about um the positive thing around if you're incorrectly aligned and if you're a bad actor and you have you know what seemingly looks like well intentions and you keep going down that road you will eventually get exhausted it eventually gets just dying out and burned out um and i didn't tie in the physical component to that but I was, as you were mentioning it in the example of the charity component, um, I see that right in line with, let's call charity a skill. So let's just call touch and go snatches a skill. And then you have to see that you have to have this right intention from the get-go and to keep improving that skill. So it gets to the point of where you're unconsciously competent in that towards the end. Yeah, to the point where you're so adept at it after so many repetitions that yes. it just becomes second nature. Yeah. And, and then, and then like my joke about it, people ask you afterwards is like an interview, right? It's like, well, how'd you, how'd you do so well in that? And, and the, and the person's like, I just went out there and I just did what I needed to do. You know, they didn't, they can't even describe, you know, why they were so good at it. Right. So you can see that it's probably great alignment and great intentions and the arrow is strong and it's directed purpose purposefully and it has great aim. You know, that's how you determine it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of Kant's other central points related to this is there's a whole lot of luck that's associated with whatever desires we get. There's our parents, the time we're born to, you know, genetics, all, all, all these, you know, the, the food our parents ate, all, all these different things that can determine our desires. And if morality is to be about anything, it can't be about something that is based fundamentally in luck and desires are to a large extent, based fundamentally in luck, but intentions aren't. That's one of Kant's central, Kant's central points is that Kant says, I don't care if you were born with the disposition of Scrooge, you know, desires to be like Scrooge or to give to charity. In either case, you are morally obligated to set the intention to give to charity. Yes, yes. So. Yeah, love it. I like that. It sets up a system, you know, again, it sets up that, real, that system really well for my brain. I'm just saying it out loud in case it helps others, but you know, the, set the aim, have the intentions, and then just recognize on this pathway where the arrow is directed. And as it moves through that area, 
you're going to have all these impeding desires that try to act upon it basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so just two other contrasts and then we'll get to the, the fitness and intention side of things. So, um, as we were asking before, does one include the other? So do desires include intentions underneath them or do intentions include desires underneath them? I would say pretty much everyone would agree that desires do not include intentions underneath them, uh, but intentions would include desires underneath them. Desires can be the base, but then you have to go beyond that to set an intention. Um, and then one other really interesting one that I, I got as a result of reading the SCP article that I hadn't quite thought of before, but it, it made a lot of sense uh, as I was reading it. Um, is there a commitment to act as a result of these things? Desires, no. Um, there's a disposition to act, but there's not a commitment. We would all be up Shit's Creek without a paddle if our desires made us, you know, act immediately. Like... <laughs> Society would be in a whole bunch of trouble. Um, and, you know, there are certain instances where that happens. But um, generally speaking, our desires uh, have a disposition, but we can then decide whether we're going to go with those or not. Whereas with an intention, if it's truly an intention, then there should be a commitment to act as a result of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, again, of the, uh, of the same kind of pathway that, uh, you know, you can, people can just, think just think about that one more specifically for yourself um, and put yourself in that situation and just start thinking about the possibilities and the outcomes if desires were all that you were all that was the base right if all that you did was just act upon those desires um, and you don't even actually have to follow through with it but if any of everyone on here listening or anyone just wanted to like practice with that notion as to what you know showing the difference in these two just think about that right? Just think about that for 10 minutes and just be like, yeah, imagine if that's all, you know, if I desire to do this and desire to do that, these are my desires. And I just, that's what's what led everything. You'd quickly recognize that, uh, well, maybe they wouldn't recognize, but anyways, it's a nice mental play and you could figure out that it's not going to work in the end if, if that's all we use. It would literally just be like a stream of TikTok videos. It would just be like, <laughs> boom, 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 like just, just this thing and like no directionality to it. Yes. Uh, that's that's so good, Robbie. That's so pertinent and timely. That was perfect. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to bring up, and then we'll then we're going to get to the fitness and uh, intention part. Is I just thought this was a cool thing with language. So it's not always the case that our language reflects reality. In fact, lots of times it doesn't. Uh, it's an, not a good description of reality, and we need to you know be careful of the words that we use. But um, I think, at least in English, there is something instructive about the way we talk about intentions and desires. So we speak of setting intentions, but I've never heard anyone say, and I think it would sound absurd to say that you would set the desire. Yeah. I think that's another contrast between the two. Yep. Yep. I agree. Uh, yeah. I have nothing to say on that one. Just uh, just think about that statement of, of what we said previously, of where they come from and the contrasting variables of each, and that'll make sense. So I guess on the intention and fitness side, I mean, I don't know if there were any that kind of stuck out to you more than others. If you just want to start from the, the top there with intentions we do have versus intentions we should have, uh, whether any, I just want to make sure we're, you know, hitting anything you really want to hit anything that's yeah. really sticking out yeah. to you. Yeah as, we, yeah. as we start with intentions for fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
No, I think maybe, uh, yeah, a little conversation perhaps on a historical context of it, okay. uh, you know, because I think that, um, I think that it's probably a similar story, but I'll repeat it, is, uh, you know, um, there's, not, there's not a lot of people um, just having the discussion around, you know, uh, those intentions. We, we thought that for a long period of time, um, you know, it was just something that people did, right? The fitness experience or what, you know, people did as leisure and, and activity outside of sport obligations for it. Um, it's just something that you did as a human experience, you know, and, uh, and now, you know, since the forties, fifties, sixties up to now industry industry and tech and et cetera, making things easier for us. We now are starting to, to push up against this now, like, um, are we, are we doing this movement experience and physical expression and fitness experience for perhaps the wrong reasons? Like we, you know, it's just embedded in our thing. And then it's like, oh, we got these other things that we can do like games and processed foods and computers. And now we're moving less. So now we're like, oh, well, geez, I guess we got to move in order to counteract all that other easier shit. That's our life. Right. So now we're at a point where it's like, oh, well, now that I'm just moving, am I possibly moving because it's going to fix a shittier choice, right? And so now we're, now we're dealt in general numbers in 2020 with this hard question of how about we go way back and ask what's the real reasons, i.e., where, where is your arrow pointed and for what reason? Um, are you doing movement, right? What's the, what's the deepest thing inside and where does that come from um, as to why you're moving and why you're trying to improve yourself, right? Through challenges. Um, I think that's, uh, I'll just start with that to say that, that that question has not been asked for a really long time and it's, it's fairly new to the fitness landscape. You just want to imagine, right? If there is like a thousand fitness podcasts out there, there's probably, I'm just going to say two to 10 that may ask those questions on like, well, why are we really doing it? And what is the real intentions, you know? Um, and what's the, what's the collective intentions? <laughs> what's, the, what's the market's perception of intentions, which is even the, the greatest thing to get to, right? Uh, I just think of uh, those, those, uh, those guys who go on the street and do interviews with people, right? And they're just like, so what's your intentions of fitness? Can you imagine the answers people get, you know, of fitness? Isn't that getting on stage with a bikini? You know, fitness, isn't that what I saw on ESPN, you know, fitness competition? You know, it's like, this is, this is the, the language around that, you know? And then, and then they're like, oh, no, we were talking about working out. And they're like, oh, to lose fat for the wedding, right? He's like, oh, my gosh, like, where, where do we go to, like, center that, that question? So, I'll just stop there, but that, that there needs to be some historical context of the intentions in fitness um, um, and why we got here, I think is a really interesting story. You know, how we got to this point where, why are, we, why are you and I discussing that today? You know, um, and, and then we can now start on uh, trying to figure out uh, what they are and if they're worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, this goes back to what we were discussing, I think, in our very first couple episodes, the distinction between the descriptive and normative projects. So for like sociology and history and, you know, 
just, I guess, even current affairs. Yeah, you could have, you know, have you ever seen Billy on the Street, the dude who goes up to, uh, he just goes up to random New Yorkers. I'll, I'll send you a video, but basically he goes up to random New Yorkers. Is he a sock? Like, What's that? Is he a sock with a cigar in his mouth? Uh, no, he's a, he might've had a puppet episode, but he's a real person. Okay. Well, there's another, another person too, probably a little bit more vulgar, but a sock with a cigar in his mouth. Anyways, Billy on the street. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, he basically goes up to people and asks them, you know, these, these questions. And, uh, but I can, I can imagine us doing that with intentions and fitness and just seeing the results. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this descriptive project helps illuminate normative, um, judgments about what intentions should be. So like the historical project that you were talking about, like going back and asking what should, or what, what have been the intentions around fitness um, helps elucidate what we should be doing today and asking people today, like, well, why are you doing fitness? You know, if they say, well, I'm doing it to lose fat or get ready for this wedding, um, we can then look at those answers and say, well, is this right or is this wrong? So the descriptive part, that you were mentioning is a very important part of the eventual normative project because you have to get a grasp on where things even at to then say like, hey, should yes. we go in a different direction or not? Yes. So I guess with that in mind, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit already, in 2020, what, what would people say if you held the mic up to them and what, what do you think the current intentions would be in, in, in fitness? Yeah, I, uh, the way I like to describe that answer most times, it's like there's seven levels to it. So generally what you're going to get is like the, the most superficial surface level answer, you know? So I think inside of all those humans, before I give you some idea what the answers will be, there's probably like seven levels down you need to get to with each of these people in conversation, you know, to understand alignment intentions, the arrow, et cetera. Uh, so, but you could, I just preempted by, you know, everyone is going to assume what the answer is going to be. It's going to be whatever society has told them. It's going to be whatever is expected in culture. It's going to be whatever is going to impress you, the questioner, right? Based upon just, you know, fear of missing out or being a part of the group, or it's going to be um, largely based upon uh, uh, culture, uh, ethnicity, uh, age, uh, possibly sex. Um, there's, there's going to be a litany, litany of things that like lead that answer to the perspective of what fitness is and what the intentions are. So I, I can give you like 35 different examples, but I can tell you it's probably what, what uh, the majority will say. Um, I put it into buckets of, um, you know, look good naked, um, you know, feel better in energy or decrease some kind of pain, emotional, physical, um, some kind of pain. Um, so that's, that's really the buckets of intentions for most people. And then the look at naked thing, that's just kind of like a, uh, um, a language for, uh, mating, um, fear of missing out social pressure, pecking order, et cetera, right. All for reproducing and evolving. Um, and, uh, and again, we, we got to back up and say, well, is that the right, is that the right intentions for, for doing it? You know? Exactly. That's what I'd get on the street, Robbie. That's the answers I would get. <laughs> you know what? I, I feel like we need to make this an episode. I'm gonna send you a, send you a video of Billy on the street, and like we'll go out and we'll just, okay. we'll, we'll just see see what they have to say. <laughs> uh, oh man, be like, uh, yes, yeah, Socrates was not too well liked in Athens for being like asking random people 
what is truth and what is justice. And- oh, dude, that's why I laughed at it because I was like, I, I could lose a limb or, uh, you know, you'd have to ask the right question depending upon where you go and how I'm presenting. So, um, yeah, you got to think about a lot of things before we decide to do that. So maybe I'll send you out to ask all the questions. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll get, I'll get the hemlock treatment for uh, asking people what their intentions are in fitness. <laughs> I just pictured us dressing up as, as, uh, some fitness characters. Brandon, I'm sure could come up with a good one for us, but, uh, maybe I'll just dress in broccoli head to toe and just walk out. And, um, of course that could be, um, you know, specifically nutritionally inappropriate for some that are, uh, um, meat eaters, but, uh, yeah, maybe I'll, yeah, you, you be the broccoli and I'll bring the, uh, pull up rack in front of the electric bike store. And that's what we'll do. <laughs> That'll be our, that'll be our go, our go to. <laughs> well, yeah, but anyway. well accepted. I digress. So we, we, so yeah, so you listed out some, you know, examples of uh, intentions that people have today that are obviously things that if anyone's in the fitness industry and listening right now, they recognize looking naked, feel better, less pain. But there's a question we could ask, you know, that you were mentioning that I think has much more meaning that it did than it did in the desires case. So you can't really ask what desires should you have. Again, desires are not in our voluntary control, but you absolutely can ask what intention, what intentions should we have? So what intentions should we have in fitness? Given that we've talked about what intentions people do have currently, what, what should we have in fitness as our intentions? Yeah. Should, uh, people need to, <laughs> people need to remember what Robbie's asking me here. Um, he's putting me on the spot to uh, own exactly where this direction goes for it. Um, but no, it's important that I preempt with that so that people recognize I also have my own lens. I have my own optics for that. I have my own experiences. Um, I also have, uh, you know, I guess the word contemplation and rumination on this particular topic for a long period of time. So it's, it's with a, not a heavy heart, but, uh, you know, um, a deep experience that I give this answer, (laughs) um, that the intentions should be, uh, to, to figure out experiences in physical expression, uh, that lead to, uh, one learning a whole lot more about themselves and how they adapt to this, to this environment in which they live. Um, and that's what the intentions should be is that, uh, again, I put it into classifications of uh, move because you can and move because it's for you. Um, and those sound very short because they're nice sound bites for CNN, um, but it also allows um, a deeper perspective when you ask me that question. Um, and so I would say that is, that's, the, that's the short answer to what I think people should have for the intentions for fitness. Okay. And I, I literally, I just thought of this as you were saying this. Um, how do we now? So, so there's the larger cultural question of how we shift intentions, which is a gigantic question. I'm sure yeah. we'll probably dedicate an episode to. But in your mind, how do we get from the is to the ought? Like mm-hmm. in an individual, like the individual comes in and okay, I want the six pack. I want to look good naked. I want you know this percent body yeah. fat. What um, what can we do as coaches to help? over time, either through conversation or how we program, help someone cultivate maybe better intentions? Yeah, um, three things, three areas really. 
Uh, it's got to be the coach has got to believe. Uh, the person has to experience the journey. And then there has to be feedback. So with those things in place, you have um, correctly aligned things from the get-go because the coach believes and the coach is like, no, I am, I'm sticking to principles. I've listened to the word. I've read the book. <laughs> and this is, what, this is what, we're, what I believe in, right? And I know that sounds quasi-religious in notion, but it is. I mean, it's, there's a political religious notion inside of all those fitness beliefs, you know, and uh, you got to believe. And then you gotta, you gotta press play. You gotta get, you gotta do it. You gotta do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. Um, and with that pressing play, you're gonna get lots of feedback, right? Feedback so that you can align things. So immediately, a couple of days in, you're like, eh, then you just go, eh, you know, you just, just tweak it a little direction. But you still have a common belief, and you're still gonna do it. But you're getting this, uh, this opportunity to point that hour in the perfect direction. So that's it. Now the shift, if the shift, I don't know if it tied into the, <laughs> so how do we get, how do we get people to the ought? Um, it's a probably in a, in a few words, uh, great base support uh, through belief uh, experience, and then an opportunity for an assessment. So you got this feedback loop to ensure you're going in the right direction. Um, Cause then there's this constant, assessment and alignment, Robbie, to see if, if, if that's what you ought to do, because it's, it's lining up with what you initially thought is what people should do. You know, um, now the, yeah, so I'll just stop there, but I, I, I do, I, I do, I can't, I wrote it down. I, I know you just said that we want to cover it another time, but what car causes gargantuan shifts um, is unfortunately um, very uncomfortable. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, you just want to think about it like this. In any system, in any system that's unconscious and broken, which meaning any system that's unconscious and incompetent, how do you do a fundamental shift in that system? It unfortunately needs to be something really powerful really powerful, right? And even, uh, you know, a pandemic is not powerful enough, you know? So, and like we can give you numerous other examples, but we are so far in, I believe, this is my own lens, but there needs to be some possible, you know, not an organic grassroots version to changing this shift, but there has to be a top-down approach as well. Meaning, you know, as, as uncomfortable as it sounds, we have to possibly create some regulations on what's expected of people in their movement practice. This is where we talked about embedding that inside of schools and getting it as a normalcy for kids, right? It's like part of the day, right? It's just, it's just injected, right? So when you become 18, like I said, or 19, you know, an alien comes down, it's like, why are you having breakfast? And they're like, I don't know. It's just what we as humans do, you know? So I want that alien to come down. It's like, why are you, going through those physical challenges of climbing a tree and playing for half an hour. Like, why are you doing that during the day? It's like, well, I don't know. That's just what we do. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's almost a, it's almost needs to get to that point where there's a top down approach to it that, that creates a fundamental shift. Um, and we need to probably spend more time on discussing that another time. 
Now, so I, I did, I think I did answer what my perspective was on the, how do we get to the ought uh, from the is, but then I, I could not help but mention how do we create that massive fundamental shift in that. And I think it's unfortunately at a time where um, it's either going to go in a Gattaca component if we don't do this big top down, top down approach, which is, you know, which could possibly look very authoritarian and, uh, um, and quite radical. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just to clear up, I'm, I'm totally fine to discuss that today. I just, you know, that, yeah, depending on where you want it to go. Uh, but that definitely is a, I think when we get to the, like, you know, the Liberty and, you know, uh, you know, the governmental aspects of, of, you know, how fitness relates, that will definitely be a, an interesting topic yeah. of how we set those intentions for everyone or how, how we help people set better intentions on, on a group level. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you know, when it comes down to it, I can't, I can't believe we're arguing over the fact that there's, you know, lots of evidence to show if you don't choose fitness, you become less healthy. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to squander, that argument in terms of freedoms and, and liberty, um, that, that if you were, let's just call it, use the word injected, if you were injected with this at a young age where it's fully expected, uh, now there's no conversation on it. Like it becomes this well-accepted notion that of course you should be, you know, trying to find, you know, a, uh, a, a higher quality foods. Of course you should be trying to, you know, do different kind of movement solutions and challenges physically for the rest of your life. Of course you should be, right? And so I don't think we'll ever, um, I don't think we'll ever remedy that issue. That's why I was saying, um, it's not that we don't want to talk about it, number one, but number two, I, I, I personally think it'll be a, has to be something radical in order to, in order to shift that. So as, as I take what you're saying, I mean, essentially, even if we had, I mean, coaches, you know, obviously do good work in helping people shift their intentions. But as I take what you're saying, group or collective shift really won't happen unless it's really more at the, you know, school level and in a dramatically different direction than it currently is. Oh, yeah. So we, you and I call it school, right? But as we know, school is a, is a easy way to indoctrinate. I mean, that's the, set, that's the setup of society today, right? I mean, and everyone thinks of those words indoctrination as being something incorrectly aligned with nefarious stuff for religious belief, but it's not, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we say, you know, you go to this institution and you sit here and you get all these things put in your head and then they, that's life over here, right? So, you know, and, and so we, we don't even recognize that that is power and control over, over these young individuals moving up through society. So if that's already in place, why don't we just like embed the, the physical manifestation component as being a part of daily life? You see what I'm saying? Um, and then, and then, for, and then, so people would be latch on that and be like, so doesn't that just mean phys ed? Uh, right idea, wrong implementation. Right idea, wrong implementation. It's almost like the ingredients on the box, you know, but inside the box is like the sugary cereal, <laughs> you know? So the ingredients on the box is like movement education and inside the box is just choco puffs, right? That's what phys ed has been. Um, sport and, you know, all the wrong reasons, et cetera. So sorry to back, I'll back up there. Yes, I think there, there's already systems in place that we could just like look at right away that could embed this in people. And then of course, you know, quickly get to the intentions of individuals it being unconsciously competent by the time they're 18, you know, so that it's, you know, and what does that take? That takes, you know, a full globe believing that it's the right 
of every human to not only get educated, but to get educated physically right from the get-go, right? It's a right as a human to be able to get that free uh, because the experiences inside of it don't, don't require a massive amount of unbelievable complexity, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think that's where, uh, how the intentions have to go over time. And, and so Robbie, back to your question, like, <laughs> how do we get to that? Oh man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I see the scope now in a, in a way in which I hadn't before. I mean, so coaches, you know, based on what you were describing before can help people to, for those who want to essentially un unplug from the matrix uh, in one sense, you know, um, gradually get better and better intentions, but um, long term to make this collective societal shift where we have better intentions around things, it's going to take something much, much different yep. and much more powerful. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to bring up in relation to what you were saying about how the, you know, um, in terms of the belief and the experience and the feedback was this idea that. I think sometimes people think of either coaches themselves or people when they think of coaches, they think, oh, well, I go to you and I say, you know, I want a six pack or I want 5% body fat or I want, you know, to go to the CrossFit Games next year, whatever it is. And the coach's job is like, okay, you go do that for me now, right? Like you, you, you go program that for me. And I thought the way you uh, described the role of a coach was really uh, great and helpful in terms of thinking about intention. It's as coaches, we can help people set better intentions, not just for fitness, but for, for life. So it's not just like someone comes in and is like, okay, well, I'm 5% body fat. You just do it. Well, well, well why? Yeah. Like there's normativity there. We have to, you know, we don't strike back with immediately. Well, that's a dumb idea. We don't, we don't say that of course, yeah. but we help people realize, well, sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes you get, I mean, <laughs> Ren and I joke about that all the time. It's like, you're an adult, just drink some water, like back nuts, but you know what I mean? But I mean, you it never is, say that. If I had the broccoli suit on, I would answer it that way. You know, <laughs> sometimes I want to answer it that way, but I digress. But yeah, I mean, uh, but you're, you're, you're teaching them, you're coaching them, you're, you're gradually helping them realize for themselves. That's the other thing that's kind of cool is that they come to this deeper realization of, Oh, like, doing Fran all the time isn't necessarily the best thing. So you, you, you get these, so the coach has this higher order role than rather just like, you know, a bot who's doing your programming for you based on your 5% body fat, you know, goal. It's more about deeper intentions and helping you access those deeper intentions and recognize them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk a bit about, I know we've talked about it before, but, especially on this episode. Let's talk a bit about do it because you can do it because it's for you. Yeah. Um, so this to, to reiterate what I just mentioned earlier, we got to that, you know, conversation of, uh, or me creating the language around that, uh, Robbie from again, for historical context, you know, where it comes from, um, from my own experiences, right. Of going through my journey in fitness, um, at a high, at a high relative expression level, um, and then seeing the, the, the very positive, unbelievable sides of it, and also seeing some of the negative sides of it, when you try to tie all that movement experience into, into life and, and what's important and what really matters and, um, and, and how this, uh, 
you know, dare we call it like a temple that we have to take care of that houses, you know, all these opportunities for unbelievable thoughts and, and things that we can do um, in the vessel that we are sitting in. I, that's, that's where I get to that simple language of do it because you can and do it because, you know, it's for you. Um, it has this notion inside of, you know, humans having this capability to do fitness, right? So you got to first believe that, right? So that, that's, what, that's what do it because you can means that everyone is capable. And I think we stop at that, you know, idea that, you know, uh, it's, it's such a higher order thing and it's complex and people can't learn how to do it themselves. And, um, you know, you need instruction and you need uh, education and you need uh, all these things you know, to get to the Globo Gym to follow a personal trainer around for an hour. That's not it, right? That's not it. Um, everyone is capable of moving, right? So if you are able, then do it. Shut up and stop after that. So do fitness because you can, right? You're capable of doing it. Um, and then secondly, uh, because it's for you, that largely ties into it being, you know, aligned effectively. Meaning like the deepest, deepest thing for you to be doing fitness and the reason behind it, in my perspective, after I said, after all those experiences and how fitness movement, fitness and exercise and stuff ties into like a life worth living is that um, it, it, it feels really good. It feels really good because you start, you start overcoming challenges. You start recognizing that, uh, what you are and what you're not capable of. So truths, right? Um, you start uh, seeing where uh, fitness fits into your uh, life and how it can be a medium, right? But all of that is, is, is your shit, right? You're doing it because it's for you, right? And if, if you're not doing it for you, uh, what I'm saying is you you probably need to step back and keep asking what's the real deepest reasons. And then until it gets right back to that, which is for you, then it's probably an incorrect alignment, right? Um, and you can imagine, you know, how many people get chopped up <laughs> in that, right? Because they're, they could be, you know, thinking, you know, all this time they're doing it for other contributing purposes or contribute to other people or do this to help support this. And in the end, they might get exhausted because they're not aligned correctly because they didn't really ask that thing like, wait now, this is for me, right? This is for me. So that's where that, uh, that's where that comes from. Uh, do it because you can and you're able. Um, and it's like, it's, it's like in a, it's in us, you know, it's in us. You know, we, we have biceps and we have, we're, we're bipedal and we can, we can throw shit. Like, like human, humans are fucking unbelievable what we can do. So, you know, do it because you can we're capable of doing that. And you know where I err on that for, for like, you know, everyone moving it into like the athletic continuum, right? It's like, we're all athletes. So we should, eh, just a second now, you know, <laughs> let's, let's clarify what we mean by movement. Um, right. And I get, I get all the well intentions of saying athlete, right? Cause there's a lot of good well-intentioned people that, that promote that. And uh, that's been stuck in dogma that leads people unconsciously, unfortunately towards the wrong intentions, but I understand why it was embedded in there. Um, and then, um, you know, have some self-love and self and self-care notion um, of that as to why you want to do it. Do it because you can. Do it because it's for you. Yeah, and those are the normative intentions 
you know, for fitness. And for those, I think most people listening to this have probably listened to previous episodes, but if you've never heard us mention that before, one of the helpful things you said a few episodes ago was contrasting that with, you know, the descriptive reasons that we see a lot of times where people do it because they need to, or because someone else told them to, mm-hmm. you know, my, my doctor said I need to do this, or my wife wants me to work out or what have you. And just, again, that distinction between the descriptive reasons, a, a lot of the descriptive reasons that we would see today, meaning just what people would say when you ask them, why are you doing fitness are about, well, because I have to, and because someone else said I should, and we're saying, or, you know, in particular, you're saying, uh, you know, do it because you can and do it because it's for you. Yeah. Yeah. Intrinsic, um, you know, intrinsically derived things um, and not injected things. Right. Yeah. We need to eject all the injected stuff (laughs) and we need to, uh, um, you know, intrinsically derive these things that could look like extrinsic motivations. And I think that's, I mean, that's the case for, I think, people start to recognize that in other aspects of their life sometimes, you know, a lot of things, especially in our culture are very extrinsic, extrinsic. I do it for money, wealth or power or what, what have you. Um, but then in the end of it, it's like, why are we, why are we doing any of that stuff? You were doing it to like eventually like find something intrinsically worthwhile. So yes. just setting that correct intention from the get go. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, in my mind, it seems uh, pretty worthwhile, a, a, you know, a challenging worthwhile, uh, thing for people to do in my mind you know I think I think it uh, when I speak about it enough to people and when folks listen enough on the idea um, and they really spend time thinking about it it actually from feedback feels really liberating for people it takes a lot of pressure off um, um, of all those and that's what I talked about earlier Robbie of incorrect alignment is exhausting yeah it's exhaustive to people you know so um, just in case people are scared, you know, it's sweeter on the other side. It's actually less tension. You know, um, can you imagine just waking up and just doing movement because you just want to and because you can and because you feel really good about, about making those choices. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's so liberating. Yeah, and that could be a big part of the reason. I'm sure there are others, but that could be a big part of the reason why so many people view fitness as a chore or as you know, oh my God, I've got to go work out or I forgot to work out. But, you know, it, again, like you said, it's liberating when you see it as something you can do that's that's for you. That's uh-huh. Um, It's not a chore, it's a choice. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. So I came across this quote in the, the pre-course readings for CCP. Um, I was... Um, Self-determination theory? Yeah, and then the the little sentence at the end, I thought, I mean, I had read it before, but just kind of coming back to it with our discussion, I just was kind of curious your thoughts. I mean, it was, it was very powerful. So the last sentence is, on many levels, internalized intention may be the most essential element in the engineering of fulfilling training experience. That's a pretty big claim. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably just more words um, to hit home the fact of the importance of trying to align intentions through dot through dialogue with individuals right from the get go. Um, so it's, it's really positioned in those words, Robbie, because it speaks of such volume to the importance 
of getting those attentions aligned right from the get-go, you know, like, and so what better way than to make the alignment of those aims seem important <laughs> by saying, this is ridiculously important. <laughs> so yeah, hence the claim. But yeah, I mean, I think for coaches or anyone in the fitness industry, like you were saying before, like how many podcasts are talking about intention or how many discussions are even around intention? Like this is not one among other things when it comes to fitness. This is, this is a significant uh, piece of the puzzle. Yeah, no, I, I honestly think in a more skeptical view that, as I said, if there's a thousand podcasts on fitness, 996 of them are talking about, uh, uh, just the diversion tactics and the duct taping that's needed to keep the thing going. And they're not backing up. They're not backing up on, uh, <clears throat> on why we're doing any of it for the alignment. Well, that's why we're doing this. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the coach. So we, we've talked a lot about the client and the individual and, and their intentions. Obviously the coach plays a role in helping shape the client's uh, intentions. Um, what about intentions for the coach? Like what, what intentions should a coach or what, well, let's start with the, we can just start with the descriptive question. What in intentions do coaches have currently? What are your thoughts on the intentions that coaches do have? And then further, what intentions should coaches have in trying to do what they're doing, interacting with clients? Yeah. The, the way I think about it is that uh, I see the, the way in which you manufacture the aim is a skill competency level of the coach. So, so let's back up and say, what does, you know, what does uh, intentions mean for the coach? Just think of it. You need to be highly skilled in the, uh, in helping people align that. So, the, so that's where they sit now. <clears throat> and I'll just stop at that for answering the first part of your question. I think the second portion, uh, what are the intentions of coaches? Um, that's probably very interesting, Robbie, Robbie, um, a, a, a probably a separate, uh, podcast in a much deeper level of the, the is and oughts and morality and everything around fitness coaching. But I'll just be brief on it that, um, I think it's to, uh, it's to, uh, have a, have a perspective that everyone has good in them that comes in front of you. Um, and then secondly, uh, understand and appreciate um you know human adaptation and human development um so you know if, if the medical oath is do no harm the uh, coach's oath is uh do a little bit of harm each day that allows them to adapt and move forward you know so it's uh, that's what i would say our intentions should be um as a uh, as a fitness coach um Yes. Yeah, so does, that, does that make sense? Intentions are used as a skill, you know, in the practice. And so get really good at that alignment stuff. And then uh, the coaching, coaching experience should be, uh, should be uh, taken to those big, bigger beacons of, uh, you know, thinking that everyone has good in them. And that's, that's almost like my do it because you can't do it because it's for you kind of statement. There's a lot more to that. Um, and then, uh, you know, understand uh, hurting people just a tiny bit every now and then just to kind of keep them adapting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you think those intentions that you said coaches should have line up with what you see as far as 
coaching today? Do you feel like they line up? Do you feel like there's a discrepancy? What are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, it's almost similar to the fitness uh, participant movement. Um, there's a, there's a huge malalignment. Um, but I think there's, they're, they're not as deep down. <laughs> they're not as, they're not as far gone as the huge fitness, uh, participant continuum group, if I'm making sense. So, and that's why I, you know, that's my bubble and that's my world, right? I, I kind of, that's where I, where I get coaches in front of me that are just slightly off alignment and I kind of just like shake them a little bit and then, and then it's like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, this is the, this is the real reasons why I'm doing this. And so that's why we start with CCP, right? With the biggest question, like, where are you from? Why are you here? And what inspires you to keep coaching, et cetera. And we see all these beautiful direct intentions right from the get-go, you know, and we start that off so people can go, oh, wow, that's a self-evident observed thing on my behalf that that's why I'm doing this. You know, this is the real reason. And then they, we use that as the, as the base support as we teach all these competencies of fitness coaching. So uh, to be brief on your answer, there's a huge malalignment, <laughs> but it's not too far gone, if that makes sense, to, yes. to like, like shift things effectively. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there are other questions I want to ask about, but again, I want to pause and just make sure, because I know you said there were some things at the beginning. I want to make sure we are able to touch on anything you wanted to uh, touch on if we haven't touched on it just yet. Um, well, there probably is, but I'm watching the clock on the wall here and I, uh, probably only have, uh, uh, eight, eight more minutes or so. Okay. Um, so we may want to either summarize on some things or, um, start a process of licking people's palate for the next time to continue some more areas on this or I'm not sure okay. what your thoughts are. I've got, uh, I've got a quick one that we can, well, hopefully a quick one. If it's not, you let me know and then we can, <laughs> we can <laughs> move into the episode, but just talking about the practical nitty gritty, you know, we, we kind of, uh, part of one of the things I, many things I love about doing this podcast, but I like that we vacillate between kind of the higher order theoretical level and the, you know, nitty gritty practical, what it's, what's like to be coach level, you know, what are your thoughts on when, um, a coach's intentions and the client's intentions are not aligned, right? So we said before that, the coach's job is not just to be a mirror of the client's intentions. The coach has to kind of, it's, it's a push and pull, but what do we say when like the coach is trying to maybe lead the client towards autonomy and the client doesn't want autonomy or that's not their intention. Like what, what should we say there when the, the intentions are not in line with one another? Yeah. Again, that's where, um, that's where I think it's the coach's responsibility to lay that out in the initial conversation. So this is where systems of system thinking can come in and help. You got the coach, you got the client. And what we're talking about here is that mediating element of like what is right for fitness, right? And then that'll, that'll allow whatever we believe to be good intentions and good alignment. So it's the coach's responsibility though, right? To start off that conversation. So that's why I say it always starts with the coach. The coach is the monad. That coach has to be like really good on initial beliefs, right? And that's why we inject them with principles and say, listen, this is the word, this is the book. Uh, you can either follow or if you don't, but I mean, it's gonna set you on a good path so that every time you get someone come in front of you, the client, and now there's a dyadic relationship, the coach goes, I think this is probably in best practices and best principles, what we should do, right? And now you get to like mediate this middle fitness thing by that. So 
I would say when you got those, you know, a remedy for the incorrect intentions uh, from both sides, I guess Robbie, it should honestly never get there. Um, if the coach starts with an initial good base support by themselves with some competency and some ideas around what those principles are for consulting, right? Because if you want to, if you want to jam with those changes on behaviors and habits and stuff, um, you got to have some base support. You can't just be, come in and be like, oh, I just meet everyone where they're at and we just kind of decide what's best for them. It's like, no, actually there's, there's actually rules, right? There's rules and there's like something we believe in and practices like what we call gain and sustain and BLGs, you know, you just hit those, you're good, right? And then so then you mull that over with the client because as soon as they come in and be like, I want that. And you're like, well, water, you know? And, and then you just kind of like, just see how, how many times their left eye twitches when you just say, you know, water, right? And then, and then that gives you an indication as to how far you off are, how far you are off on this alignment of the intention, right? So I think that that may help, you know, at least, does it? Do you think that helps kind of discuss? Yeah, that? I do. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's something that, you know, I'm sure you experience this. I think a lot of fitness coaches and nutrition coaches experience this where it's just like, you know, where you're, when you're just starting out and you don't really know what you're doing and you don't, you're not asking about proper intention. You're just like, Oh, I've got a client and you know, they say they want this. And you know, you, you, you get to that exhausting level where it's like, Oh, things aren't really lined up. But I, I, since we're talking about intentions, I think it's a really good point about, you know, setting the intention from the start, having that discussion around, Hey, this is what we do. And this is the right way to go about things. And, um, you know, having that conversation and discussion so that you are setting your arrow in the correct direction, not like, you know, setting it in the wrong direction and everyone gets frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, last point on that. I think that's why I may want to inject a value in people based upon how they should perceive that is that you want to think about a life strategy of movement and a life strategy execution of nutrition and a life strategy of behaviors. Right. And that's when you're going to arise at this defining aspect of what success is. Right. Which is great mental acuity. You know, the whole adage of climbing a mountain to 90, having sex, falling off, dying, like, you know, all it's humorous, but, but that's your alignment because now it stretches it all out. Right. So now it's very easy to create this instead, then you're not dancing. Right. And then you're, you know, like to your point, you don't get too far in where you're like, Oh, I'm not sure if this is right. Um, is it lining up? If it's not, I mean, gosh, it's probably definitely not right. So that's why that time and space area can certainly help in that. Yeah, definitely. So I think, I mean, I think at a deep and practical level, and you've been saying this for, um, you know, quite a long time through OPEX, just this idea of just getting clear on intentions, getting clear on intentions so that you are setting things in the right direction to begin with. It's very important. Super. All right. Well, I think that was a pretty good one. Uh, any final thoughts or? No, sir. Uh, that was good. I think uh, we may need to do some more. So there could be a part two. There might not be a part two. There may be just like more excerpts of this style. Yeah. You? Well, anything? Uh, let's get going on the broccoli and the pull-up station and the in front of the electric bike store asking people about fitness. <laughs> 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 <laughs>